You're listening to It's Real Life Podcast. Real hope. Real love. Real life. Hello, hello, and welcome back to It's Real Life Podcast. We're so excited about this episode. I know, we're excited about every episode, but this one right here? <laughs> so let me bring my co-host, the, the voice himself, the man with so much uh, wisdom. Come on in the room, Chris Davis. Man, listen, you know, with an introduction like that, uh, I'm going to need to cash app some money, some Zelle or something. (laughs) Listen, I'm like you. I am extremely excited. One of the other reasons, um, not only for what we're going to be talking about today, but also we're going to call this the, uh, the third chord. I always enjoy these kinds of conversations with this, um, with our esteemed guest slash core. I'm feeling uh, very encouraged and nourished today. Just want you to know that. <laughs> well, you know what? That's a good thing. That's a good thing, Chris Davis. So, uh, Chris already said it. This third strand that's with us today, Dr. Verdi Leatherman, man, we are so grateful. Uh, for your wisdom and your experience, your expertise that you bring to the table as we're talking through every conversation that we've had so far. So how are you doing, Dr. Verdi Leatherman? I am very much amazing. But let me but let me just tell you the truth. The wisdom comes in the glitches and the stretching. And so know that I have not gotten to where I am without some glitches and some stretching and some bumps. That's and so good. Your, your show gives me an opportunity to take advantage of all the bumps and the glitches that I've experienced to share. So I'm good because of this opportunity and hopefully your audience will be blessed and and encouraged and healed as we go that's good that's good you know earlier this week i really had um a rough week but it was a good week because it was some of the stuff you just talked about some of those glitches Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i had to come face to face with um my own insecurities about some things and as i i i did that I began to hear God really say to me, look, little girl, this is what I put in you. Mm. So don't worry about the people. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about what they got. Just do what it is I created you to do. And so I remember writing, um, I pulled out a journal that I hadn't written in and it had some little prompts. And one of the prompts was, do you know your truth? And so I started to write, I am a conduit through which others can gain clarity, find their purpose and experience healing. Cause that's where I've been. Mm -hmm. That's what I've seen God do. Mm -hmm. That's how I've experienced him using me. And when you understand your truth, you don't worry about anybody else. You just do what you are 
called to do. Be you. In our previous conversation, we talked about the influences that society has on men and women in relationships, family systems. Um, Man, we talked about so much in that conversation, but I wanted to continue that because you said you had more. Yes. And you gave us three specific things for men and women on how um, society has impacted us. Right. How we're socialized. How we're socialized. And so we want some more of that, please. (laughs) (laughs) Because what I realized that I was battling, I was battling some messaging that I had heard since I was a kid, that now that I'm 105, it's still impacting how I see, perceive myself. And no matter how great people say that I am, until I realize that's who I am, it's as though it's chafe blowing in the wind because it doesn't have any impact. It doesn't stick. There's no nourishment from it, even though they say it and it should be encouraging. Yes, ma'am but it's blocked by the messaging that's in my head. And I had to release that. I had to let it go and go, okay, God, show me. Sure. And that is, I'm going to, I'm going to give you an analogy because it sounds straightforward and direct, but it would be like a left-handed person trying to start writing with their right hand. You, for whatever reason, you've lost your left hand. You can no longer use it, but now you've got to learn and you know it makes sense. You know it's the right thing. You know you can do it, but it is almost impossible. And so I agree with you, but it's not just a matter of saying, stop thinking that. Right. It really is a, a battle sometimes takes a lifetime. I told God the other day, I said, God, some of the stuff you want us to do, we need more than eternity. And I was specifically speaking about knowing him and understanding him. I said, God, we really need more than an eternity for some of these things. Yeah. So because here's the, here's the other picture I want to give you. As children, we start learning, and I call it taking notes, before we know we're taking notes. But we're writing down things on our brain from our experiences before we even know we're learning. And parents have to be, to some degree, held accountable, but some degree just taught that your children are learning. I'll give you a painful example. A woman told me in her volatile marriage, where she and her husband sometimes go from zero to 75, in a matter of seconds, her little two-year-old son is already learning to tune it out. He's already exhibiting behaviors where he's trying to ignore the noise, the arguing, and he's two. And the mother says it's so painful because she knows what he's trying to do. And he's just a baby. And in some situations, the child wants to be the peacemaker. In some situation, the child is fussing at one of the parents or the other, and they don't even know how to talk and they don't even know what's going on. They just want it to stop or they want to escape. 
And these children are pre-verbal. They don't have the, the cognitive capacity to process, but they have the reflex to respond in a way that they're trying to get away. So I agree with you completely, but imagine trying to learn to write with your right hand and you've been left-handed your whole life. So that's really the struggle. And it does start with talking to yourself, absolutely. It does start with recognizing it, absolutely. But it is not a simple process or an easy process. So it's, it's felt to me in the journey, it's felt to me like there are days when I'm on top of the mountain and, and I'm good and I, I, I brought these two pieces of myself together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and as, when I say two pieces, the dichotomy of who I really am and who I've always heard others say that I am. Right, right. Those negative things that I was, I, I heard, you know, over and over and over again, that even though some of them were said unjust, they stuck. Why is it that the negative things stick so well and, and just remain. Well, part of that is goes back to the last podcast when I talked about we're trying to avoid being hurt. At the root of it is we really don't want to hurt. We don't want to experience pain. That's part of it. Mm-hmm. The other part of it is that uh, life happens and the negative gets reinforced again. And until that new response becomes strong enough, it is vulnerable, it is susceptible to be overshadowed by what we learned so very long ago. So that's, those, are the, those are two of the pieces that explain that kind of behavior. And, and then the process continues to evolve. I, I want you to hear me say, it starts before we even know there is an it starting. And it still shapes us. And there aren't many people who teach parents that about raising children. And I, again, I'm not sitting here and saying I had all the answers and I understood all this. No, I'm still learning. But it does happen. We are learning before we even know we're learning. Yeah, so here's something that's interesting that I remember. I think we talked about it last time. It was one of those compli- complicated perceptions. And it was kind of one, it was really, it was really kind of nice the way you worded it. It was kind of how we either give our power away or we, we take our power back. Mm -hmm. And it was what we think they think we are. Right. And then I was thinking kind of even further than that, like what we think they think we think we are. Right. Exactly. You know? And so kind of like as you unpacked it, it was so powerful because it was almost like it's not being dictated by who you really are, mm-hmm. but it's being dictated by perception laid on top of perception. Right. So that being controlled by this, you know, the social construct. Exactly. Exactly. And boy, we could talk about that for three hours <laughs> because I'm in the absence of relationship. That is exactly what we're going to do. And unless and until we establish relationship with people, we're always operating on perceptions. And whether that's a perception, because I want, at least like Dr. Leatherman, you know, part of me wants you to think I'm a professional and I'm competent and I am, I'm, I'm empathetic. 
But there's a part of me that's so goofy, I can't stand it. <laughs> but everyone doesn't get to know the goofy Verdi. Mm. And so you may only have the perception of Dr. Verdi as Dr. Verdi. And, uh, and unless I'm comfortable with you, you're not going to see the goofiness that is a part of who I am. And therefore, you are operating on who you think I am rather than mm. on who I really am. And, if, and one doesn't exclude the other, but I don't always show everybody everything. And in true intimacy, and as what you all were talking about last time, ultimately what we want is true intimacy, which requires true vulnerability. But man, it's hard. It's mm. scary. I was watching a movie and I'm one of those guys that will uh, watch a chick flick, quote unquote, no disrespect intended. Mm -hmm. um, but the movie was not one that guys typically watch. I'll just put it that way. And it was called uh, Mona Lisa Smile. And it was a really, really good, a good movie. Try to spoil it too much, but it was about a, a finishing school, you know, to some degree. In uh, the early 1900s, you know, I want to say 1920s, 1930s, 40s, something like that. Um, but what was interesting is there was a scene in that movie where one of the young ladies who seemed to be relatively abrasive uh, as it relates to like how she would interact. She was kind of critical of people, the kind of the warmest person. And that was a reflection of some of the things that were going on in her personal life. Um, so she was highly critical, very, very, you know, intellectually talented and gifted, but she was using that in a way that was harmful to the people around her. And it took one of the young ladies who was a little bit more free spirited, a little bit more open minded um, to see past what she was presenting to get to the root of it. And I remember this scene and it taught me so much. I mean, I use it. This scene opened my mind to possibilities. And what was happening was this young lady was being her, her regularly abrasive self. And the free-spirited one, as she was kind of going in, she was really saying some really hurtful things. And instead of responding to what was being presented, she gave her a hug. That messed me up. And as she was hugging, she was kind of like, no, get off me, get off me. And then she just busted down, you know, broke out crying. And it was like the, the free-spirited one, like she knew all this other stuff, that's not even you. She was able to see past what was being presented, you know, which was basically her pain. Mm -hmm. and was able to see, oh, you know what? You just need a hug. Right. <laughs> you need a hug and somebody to tell you it's going to be okay. Right. Blew me away. Like, and I think it really kind of gets at this, this notion of who we really are and who we present ourselves to be versus what we, what we allow people to see when we are more comfortable and vulnerable. And I think we even kind of talked about the dynamics when we're talking about the barriers to vulnerability and how powerful that is. And I think you even pulled out like the, the thin line between fear and excitement, which I was like, wow, right. that right. was mind blowing. But in, right. but even in that, how we even navigate allowing, you know, first of all, knowing who we really are and then being who we really are. And then the dynamics of vulnerability, you know, as we feel or do not feel safe. Right. And see, and I'm, I'm glad you ended on the word safe because unconsciously we will protect ourselves against perceived hurt and injury even when we don't fully recognize we're, we're protecting ourselves. The mind is wired to protect itself. Mm. So it, yes, that woman was reflecting her hurt in her actions 
and protecting herself from any further hurt as well. Because if I'm abrasive, who can hurt me? And that's why I said, even a little two-year-old is hurting in the face. Nobody's hitting him or her. Nobody's necessarily yelling at him or her, but that environment is painful. And that little child is going to exhibit behaviors. And if you could, if you could just watch children, you would see, and you're talking about bring you to tears. Oh my goodness. You would, to see a two-year-old try to calm and be the peacemaker between a mommy and a daddy will break your absolute heart. So, yeah. Yeah. I want to bring us um, to a different road, maybe, as it relates to socialization. I was talking with um, a new friend, and she said to me, she's in her 40s, and she said to me, so many of my friends are wondering why we're not married yet. She said, I grew up and my first toy was a baby doll. And as a little child playing with this baby doll, I realized looking back, I was being socialized to be a mom. Toys were little kitchen sets. And now as an adult, not having that opportunity, I've spent time building my career, but this other part of me for that and I can't find it. Can you speak to that whole socialization process and then what it does now as women who were socialized in that way are adults and can't seem to find the place for what they were socialized to be and do? I'm going to go a little different direction with that. Okay. Because the socialization of the baby and the doll and the daddy and the mommy is part of the design for marriage. God's right. design, that's part of it. We were to come together and procreate. That was that that was God's plan. And how socialization has lined up with that or not is another story. But you can't separate that from the fear of getting hurt because we're still afraid of getting hurt. Because if that's really what I want, if I really believe that is how God made us, and, and don't get me wrong, God did not make everyone to be a husband or a wife. I'm not, I'm not saying that. And I'm not even trying to say how many people are supposed to. But God's purpose for marriage, for couples, was to reflect his love and to, and, to, and to have children and raise them in that love. But as we are socialized, even in the sense of wanting that, we still have to struggle through all the messaging that we get about who we are first and who we should be looking for. And that mm. works in both directions. So who I am, I'm either worthy or not. I'm either, I'm either a good catch or I'm not. And mm. all the parameters of that. But then who is a good catch that I should be looking for to make that God-given purpose a reality? So it works in both directions. And we both are struggling at the same time 
as men and women. And so the challenge is, see, see, I can't, I cannot pull the socialization out of any part of this because at every juncture, we are learning from our environment and we're, we didn't want to get into all the messages because, you know, is it okay for a boy to do that? Is it okay for a girl to do this? Is it okay for me to like that? Am I this if I, oh my goodness. And now with the dynamics of our society being so complex, our little children, are learning everything. And I'll, I'll just throw this out. I don't even know where it fits because there is a school of thought that is teaching elementary school, very young children, the benefits of masturbating. I heard about that. So that in their own idea of intimacy, physical intimacy, they have children books that give children not only permission, but instruction. Now, that's just one little element of how some children are being socialized. And we have to understand how does that fit in, challenge, contrast to God's divine definition and his purpose. And I cannot tease out the socialization process because it is so complex and so overt in some ways and in other ways so covert. You know, what's interesting to your point, and I, I agree 100%, it's really interesting to me, and I'm just going to call it um, a war on truth. I think the battleground is what is true, right? And so you have a number of different uh, definitions that are more relative than absolute. I think people are trying to find sound footing and sound, solid foundation to stand on and are finding sand but are desperately looking for solid ground. And uh, to your point, it's really, it's really unfortunate and it is heartbreaking that um, instead of introducing solid ground to our children mm -hmm. and allowing them to know that there is sand out there mm -hmm. that you can explore at your, you know, at mm -hmm. your, you know, in your leisure, you know, when you get it, you know, right. but, but start them, you know, kind of like when children are beginning to walk, mm -hmm. it's better for them to have shoes with, flat solid soles so they learn how to walk and balance right. themselves right but if you have shaky ground it's going to inhibit your ability to walk right or and so this relative truth is like man right. in my, my my latest book there's a chapter that says parenting is not for wimps you can't be a wimp and parent children and if you are go sit down but if i'm a wimp because I was parented by a wimp and now I find myself pregnant and I have a child, help us. And that is the battle of the socialization process just from one dimension. That's just one dimension. But so many adults did not have solid foundation parenting and, and they're doing the best they can. You know, something that's interesting, too, and I'll just kind of unpack a personal experience to your point. Um, being a single father for most of my my oldest son's life and, um, you know, his younger years, you know, he literally was uh, at college with me as I was, you know, trying to navigate playing ball and going to school and 
figuring out what being a dad was. And what was interesting to me, because I was kind of exploring the boundaries of what that looked like. I mean, most single parents, from what I understood, were only women. But I come to find out, no, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And then what does love look like coming from a dad versus coming from a mother? And it is very different. It is very different to be nurtured by your mm -hmm. father and, and, and to be nurtured by your mother. Right. And so I learned, you know, that no matter how much I told my son that I loved him and expressed it in every possible way and was searching and researching to find better and new and improved ways to do it, it did not replace his mom's love. Mm -mm. Right. And so that whole the, 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 the messaging and that whole thing, you know, and I was exploring like, OK, well. Uh, I've, you know, it's so challenging uh, to kind of try to play both roles. Like, okay, let me be dad and then we figure out what pieces mom would give and try to do that. But I'm not even wired that way, but I'm going to try to do it. And so what category do I fit in in this sense, right? And then, you know, trying to walk through that. And then socially, you know, when I got full custody of my son, the paperwork was already coded. It was already set in stone with personal pronouns making assumptions mm -hmm. that the custodial parent was going to be the mom right and not the dad so i literally had to edit right. the whole document right. changing pronouns right and that that sent some messaging to me like wow right you know yeah. you're assuming that i'm not going to be a good parent automatically right. out the gate or i'm not the best parent right. for the child to be with you know mm -hmm. depending on what it is i mean it's, it's sad that we live in a society where we have to make that distinction Right. make that choice but we do right and so it is what it is it's the nature of the beast but but in terms of just that messaging piece it was kind of really interesting being a single parent as a dad society mm -hmm. either one did not believe i existed therefore there are no necessarily there, there aren't support groups and programs mm -hmm. and all those kind of things that exist right or they don't like me right because it's almost like my presence is an assault on motherhood which is another interesting message as I try to do the best that I can to love my son and grow him and, and teach him how to be a man and then just trying to figure out what a being a man was. But but that whole piece was really messaging standpoint. Right. And I think that's so powerful what you just said about 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 the messaging that we receive and just navigating that. Right. And you have just highlighted the complexity. See that's so just that little piece of it is so complex. And for you to be able to at least begin to recognize it, then you can begin to think about ways to address it appropriately. But it's so complicated. And I, we again, we could talk about that for three days. I have two sons and to try and parent them as a mom without the influence of a man is almost impossible. Yeah. But sometimes mothers and dads have to do it solo. But it is, and God intended the balance. He did not intend either or, he intended both and. And we mess it up. <laughs> and then our children suffer and we do the best we can. I, I don't want you to hear me condemning or criticizing. I think most people are really doing the best they can with what they have. Many people aren't concerned about being better, doing better. But I think most people are doing the best they can with the circumstances that they're facing. But it's, it's so complicated. Let's take a break to tell you a little about Anchor. If you hadn't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. 
There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now back to its real life. In our last conversation, you gave us some things about how socialization has impacted both men and women. Do you have more of those to share? Well, I think that um, we, you know, we talked about how men are, are, are not willing to let their guard down as much and women are are more, I'm going to say, demanding in terms of what they think they need and being willing to express it and demand it. And what happens is we both come from a place of feeling entitled that I should be able to get what I want from you. And that creates an entirely different level of conflict because my needs are valid, my Feelings are valid, but that doesn't translate into I am therefore entitled to have you meet those needs for me the way I want them met. And that turns into conflict and that turns into arguing, verbal aggression, defensiveness, rather than compromise and communication. Because just because I have a need doesn't mean any given individual is supposed to meet that need for me. So entitlement that comes out of certain levels and certain kinds of socialization sets us up to expect A, B, C, or D in a new relationship, either because of what we saw or what we were taught or what we believe, but it is not a given and, it, and I do not have the right to demand from another person anything. But if we communicate effectively and are willing to compromise, we ought to be able to meet in the middle and get most of what we need met with the person we make a commitment to. But we come at it from a place of socialization, like just something as simple as I'm supposed to be able to stay at home and not work because you're going to pay all the bills and make all the money. And that's what I grew up and that's what I expect. And so hit it, boy. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? You, what job am I going to have? And not only do I feel entitled, but then I beat you up if you're not meeting that need for me. And so entitlement versus compromise in the face of inadequate communication is a, you know, what is it? A bomb waiting to explode. Listen, I'm going to just say how much I appreciate the fact that you just said mm -hmm. what you said. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are a number of really, really healthy, well-intentioned men and have a different perspective right. on what the healthy balance in a relationship looks like. Right. And they're in, engaging or interfacing a person that they love mm -hmm. with a very much traditional kind of perspective on what that looks like. Right. And, and, and 
I, I said last time, we've got to go back to the source. We have to understand what God says, but we actually, we have to also understand how men are socialized and men are socialized to, to be the provider, to be the breadwinner. And ironically, even in some relationships where the, the woman might actually earn more money, men still often feel pressured to compete with her mm. rather than to cooperate. And it, and it still creates a dynamic of tension and conflict that's unnecessary, but we have to be able to understand it and then appropriately discuss it and problem solve it. Let me go back because part of the socialization also involves how do I regulate my own emotions in the face of stress and conflict so we can communicate. And, and, and you know, the Bible says, God says, it's okay to be angry, but don't sin. And so mm -hmm. often when we don't regulate our emotions, whether we're a man or a woman, we sin in the face of anger, in the face of disappointment, in the face of hurt, rather than regulate those emotions so we can communicate and problem solve effectively. And that's, you know, that's, that's what um, couple work is all about. You got to deescalate the conflict. You got to, uh, you've got to help people hear each other and understand and then move to a place of cooperation or problem solving. I'd like to explore that a little bit, Dr. Verdi, because when we're dating, for instance, so often these are not the kinds of conversations we're having. Conversations about how you handle money, conversations about what is your go-to when you're angry. And we then clash as things come up, have to be faced, and we've never really talked about it to know beforehand what this other person, or they don't know even for us, that, well, hey, when, when an argument ensues and it gets heated, I'm going to run. That, that's my go-to. So if I'm going to run, then that means you need to do X, Y, Z to make me feel comfortable enough to stay and continue the conversation. But by the time you're dating, it's already late. What do you mean? Because I've already learned so many things before I ever go on a date. <laughs> they're, they're already ingrained in some form or fashion. Because even in, in my home as a child, I'm growing up with other people. And I'm either learning to navigate my anger and my negative feelings well, or I'm not. And so I love what you say about we're dating, but, but by then you're, you're, you're so much of who you are that unless you make a concerted effort to look at it, you're just being you. I am a pre-marriage counseling therapist. Because I, there are just so many things you cannot learn on your own about you as it relates to another person. But we still don't mandate <laughs> that people have premarital counseling. And even in the dating arena, if, if I come from parents who knew a couple of things, they can teach me a couple of things that when I go into a dating situation, I'm more prepared. 
And I don't care what the issue is. I don't care if it's managing money. I don't care if it's managing my emotions. I don't care if it's giving me attention. I don't care what it is. I have already learned so many things. I don't care if it's my truth about who I am, as you said earlier, Deborah. I don't mm-hmm. care what I'm learning. By the time I'm at that place, I've already learned and internalized so much that I just live it out now. Wow. That's so good. I t- here's what's interesting, too about what you said in terms of by the time you get there, mm-hmm. some of the cement's already hardened. Mm-hmm. Completely. <laughs> you know I mean? Completely. You know, yes. It's almost like, but we come to it with the expectation that the other person be mutable. You know, <laughs> it's like, even as a believer, you know, there are Christian values that would lend themselves to being kind of flexible, Yes. As it relates to that, to, to be more open-minded, to give people the grace space. Man, I was waiting for that grace. Yeah. You know, yes. and I think, I mean, as a believer, it's kind of ingrained in us in terms of the more we walk this walk, the closer we get to him, the more we internalize the heartbeat of God, the, 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 yeah. the, the, the principles that Christ lived by, mm-hmm. the more that becomes a part of how we engage relationally. And I think personally, I think those things make they give you a better shot at being successful at it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And fortunately or not, most of us had parents who were more gracious toward us than they were toward each other. Yeah. And that's yeah. the sadness. We watched our parents, you know, fight for lack of a better word. And we expected them to be more gracious toward us. So when we have children, we do tend to be more gracious, but yeah. not with our partner. And it's, and it's backwards. It really is backwards. But that's a hard concept to apply in our lives, but it's what's needed. Yeah. I think that's what messes some people up they find people in church who they feel are believers but when they are in a relationship with that individual they discover there's little grace in situations and there are hard lines and they run into these brick walls and and they encounter quite the opposite of what they thought they would experience with the person who is in church and who they thought to be a believer. And that's why when you said earlier, but when we're dating, that's not the stuff we're doing. Mm-hmm. And my thought was, but that is the stuff we should be doing. And I, I will tell you, I will tell you, it's, it's very simplistic, but here's what I have learned over the years, personally and in my professional, my professional practice, A a dating person ought to be looking for someone who can love them unconditionally and be willing to work with those things that aren't as pleasing to them because that's how God loves us. And that is what true love looks like. It doesn't mean I agree. It doesn't mean I like it. It doesn't mean I'm going to let you necessarily stay there but I'm going to love you in spite of it. And the few couples that I've seen 
who really demonstrate that kind of love are ahead of the game. Mm. And it's only because it parallels God's love for us. I don't know about you and Chris, but God could have kicked me to the curb at least mm, three or four times. <laughs> three or four? <laughs> what are you talking about? Can we say five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? Hello. <laughs> but, you, but, you get my, but you get my point. Right. And he just hung in there. And I love him back because I know that. Mm-hmm. And when I see that in a couple... I am so quick to identify that as you you know you're loved unconditionally. Mm-hmm. Now you can take advantage of it. And as Paul said, you can keep sinning because of the grace or you can allow the grace to motivate you to be the man or the woman that God would have you to be. And it's a choice we make, but it's a choice we have to be taught to make because our sinful nature <laughs> is what it is. And I think to, to Deborah, as you were kind of talking about and opening up this this conversation about socialization, you know, even Dr. Verdi, as you mentioned, is that grace is the unconditional love. You know, it's it's the the stone that that breaks down the wall. It's the pebble that destroys the mountain. Right. Ironic and paradoxical to think that something that small could break right. down something that big, but it's interesting. Right. And I was thinking about this the other day that oftentimes the way that the whys are confounded is when the simple things do that, right? <laughs> when you think about how how yeah, the yeah. world can splitting yeah. an atom do that much damage, yeah. right? You know, we yeah. think about the atomic bomb is literally yeah. not, it's not some massive, it's a small thing that happens that has yeah. that much power. Right. And I think that is a visual of the kind of power and the punch that what we're talking about and loving someone in a healthy way. Right. Because, I mean, we're all striving to love better. Right. God loves unconditionally uh, in such a way that we are striving more and more to be like that. But the power of that, it uh, dismantles. And I was thinking about this the other day, too. Like, it was so funny to me. Um, how powerful God is in the small things. Mm-hmm. We were talking about how smart we are, how we're building all these things and we're making all these technological advances. But we know that water is made up of H2O, but we can't make it. We can or clean it, without it or live without it, mm-hmm. which I think is a critical nugget. When we look at the way that love is such an integral part of we cannot live without that no matter how independent we think we are you know we can think we can live on a mountaintop all by ourselves no matter how much you think you can get that done <laughs> you're going to need love of some kind or find substitutes see that's what we do we deny yeah. that we need it and we find substitutes and there's mm. and there's a plethora of substitutes for love all of which fail miserably. Mm. But people are still like the woman, people are still abrasive and pretending Mm. that that's not what I want. And all that woman needed was that hug in that moment. No words were necessary. That was a nugget. And you know what? Here's what's funny. In my men's groups, I've shared that sometimes Mm. the reason why she is going off and... uh, is because she needs to be reassured 
that everything is going to be okay. That there's a there's something that has nicked her security, mm-hmm. and she's feeling insecure about some aspect of something. Mm-hmm. And so, really, what all that is is that she needs to be reassured. Or, you know, somebody told me this a long time ago that when your wife, if you're married, calls you and is asking you where you're at and how long you're going to be, she's not nagging you. She is really concerned. She has thought about 50 million possible things that could happen to you and, and, and fearful that any one of them might be a reality. So she's checking to be reassured that none of those things is the case because she loves you that much and she cares that deeply. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. So I mean, it's not nagging, get on my nerves and, you know, try to, you know, curtail my life and, you know what I mean? Control, control everything. Yeah, right. she ain't trying to control. So it was like, no, she's not trying to control you. In a different way, she's trying to express how deeply she cares for you and loves you. And I was like, yo, that was like a trajectory changing statement. Like, wait a minute. Okay, man, I'm going about this thing all wrong. Now, I'm not saying that there are folk who you who sure, are trying to sure. use that to of control. Course. But I think of oftentimes course. it is the true um, uh, uh, message that is being communicated that is masked as something else. And our inability to see past what we see to discern what it, it really is that causes us to make maybe some of the mistakes that we make in interpreting what we see, like, or, you know, the abrasive in level of engagement or method of engagement. And we read it and we respond to the abrasiveness versus, you know what, that's a runny nose. Let's address the cold or let's address the flu. Instead of handing you, you know, we do we do want to address the symptoms, sure. but we're trying to really get at the root of it. And so I think you kind of you know, when you touched on the, the reality of this need for unconditional love and when you recognize it in couples, you kind of highlight that. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Let me say one more thing about that. And that goes back to the same way a man doesn't want to come across as dependent and women yeah. don't want to come across as insecure. But we were Ooh. made out of your rib. We have a connection to you that started in the beginning and God said it after the fall and we're going to always have that desire and we can kick and scream and resist it all we want, but we're going to have it. You just dropped an atomic bomb in the middle of the room. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Wait a minute. Okay. Can I just say this one more time? Okay. Wait a minute. So men don't want to be seen as dependent. Right. And women don't want to be seen as insecure. Absolutely. My, because, but so, so it sounds like if, if I take the inverse, men are dependent in a way. Absolutely. And, right. And so women need the security. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Right. Um, there's, there are two books. I'll throw these two books out. They were game changers for me in my practice. They were written by a couple for men only, for women only. And I think the last name is Feller, Fellerman. I can't think of their last name, but you can find the titles. The book for men is for men only. The book for women is for women only. And it talks about many of the things we've talked about in these last two podcasts. And one of them is the insecurity of a woman and how women aren't equally insecure in the same ways, but there's a security that we need from the men, the man in our life, and a man has to understand that. But that goes back to what I said last week, but men need to be respected. 
And it doesn't mean I, you only respect me if I'm the provider and if I'm bringing in the bacon. A man still needs to be respected and allowed to be vulnerable without it costing him his identity. And these two books nail it. They, they nail it. So have your, have your audience check those two books out. Listen, I am trying not to shout and jump <laughs> out of my skin. Okay. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Right. Listen, we have just, in, in 35, 45 seconds, blessed some relationships, some marriages right. who have been wrestling with this. They know it's something. They just couldn't pinpoint it. Right. But again, if you don't look down your bosom, mm. you'll never know what's down there. Mm. And most of us are so busy doing that we don't slow down to be who God made us to be. If, if men weren't dependent, God would not have given them an Eve. He'd have just let men have dominion over the earth. God knew it. Mm, mm, mm. And, he didn't just, and he didn't just make Eve out of the dust in a vacuum. He took her out of. That's connection. That's security. That's where I come from. Woo, Lord, help me. <laughs> but, but, but see, but Chris, but don't get it twisted, Chris. The words flow easily. The action, the living that out, the demonstration, the acceptance of that are whole different stories. Yeah. But, in, but at least in this form, we're talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, what is it? Somebody right. give me the, give me the rule book, give me the right. primer right. so I can kind of discern. I can do the work if I know what I'm looking for. Right. Maybe. 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 Cause everybody what? doesn't want to do the work, Chris, don't fool yourself. Okay. Okay. Everybody, most people don't want to do the work. Because the work is scary. That's why most people don't come to therapy. That people don't come to people don't not come to therapy because of money, insurance. People don't come to therapy because it's scary. And I'm gonna have to get a little naked if I'm gonna really do the work that needs to be done. And most people are too scared to do the work. So that's one of the first things I tell my clients. You're brave just to show up. You don't know who I am. You don't know where I'm coming from. And you still walk through my door and said, hi, doc. So people are scared. And that's why I said earlier, I don't know what, where we were. As a little girl, I wanted people to be able to feel comfortable and safe talking about whatever they wanted to talk about without judgment, without criticism. Doesn't mean I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say way to go, hallelujah, but you're going to be able to feel safe and not judged, even when you're feeling very naked. This has been just a re very revealing kind of conversation. Probably not quite what I expected when we started. <laughs> and oh well. Yeah, yeah. But I think that like Chris said, people will be able to gain great insight into their own situations and how they how they view things but considering where they came from and the influences that impacted them as an individual and then how that plays out as they connect with others so if i had to give you a tagline for today mm -hmm. 
my tagline is nobody fell out of the sky today. Everybody has been shaped every step of the way. And we are who we are today because of the shaping that took place from the beginning. That's good. And I think that kind of summates, it, it, it addresses and it kind of touches on socialization, the realities of our socialization and how those tentacle into our relationships, whether they be romantic relationships or our friendships or our interpersonal relationships with the people that we're around in the various settings we find ourselves in. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's, that's such a great, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. This has been great, Dr. Verdi. Once again, you've swept in here. <laughs> Thank <laughs> and you. And given us some things to really, really help us right. um, as we connect with yeah. others and even as we are looking down our own bosoms. <laughs> yes. To see yeah. who we are and what's down there, what's exactly. in here. Exactly. Yeah, because when we understand who we are, we're better able to relate to other people. Yeah. If I might add a, um, a male interpretation, see yeah. who you really are, brother. Got you it. know. Got it. We'll take it. <laughs> That's the translation. We'll take it. Same, okay. same difference. Yeah. Same difference. Same yeah. Difference. You're going to see who you really are. That's yes, it. sir. Mm -hmm. So, this is a great place to close out this part of the conversation. Dr. Verdi, I already know you have more on socialization <laughs> and that whole process. Uh, so I'm already going to say, look, we're, we're going we're gonna to bring you back. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma uh, so we can keep talking and keep helping uh, people. You're helping me um, as, uh, as we continue to grow and engage others in our day-to-day -day experiences. Yes, ma'am. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I, yes. And I will be delighted to come again. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So, Chris Davis. Yes, ma'am. You know what time it is, right? I know what time it is. Listen, um, for, for everyone who was able to listen, we're so glad that you were able to, uh, to share this time, uh, to spend this time uh, with us on the It's Real Life podcast. Real hope, real love. Real, Real life. life. <laughs> Come on. Come on.